Welcome, everybody, and thank you so much for accepting our invitation for this Bible study and reflection on November 29th, 2023. Let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Peace be with you. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father and Creator of all, we thank you for your Holy Word, and through the activation of your Holy Spirit, you reveal to us your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is through your Holy Spirit you are always working in us for our good, whether we recognize it or not. And for that, we are greatly appreciative and thankful. We lift up this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. The book of Genesis begins with the ancient Israelite viewpoint of creation, <clears throat> creating the cosmos. It begins by telling the story of how the one God created and ordered the cosmos and humanity. You know, monarch butterflies migrate beginning in fall and at the beginning of spring. You might say they're pointers to a seasonal change. If the wind is blowing, you, can't, you can see its effect on trees and plants by their swaying in the breeze, so to speak. Can you actually see the wind? Of course not. But I would certainly think that the wind in and of itself is a pointer to the creator of the wind. We can't actually see God, so how do we know there is a God? There's a really good book written by Eric Metaxas titled, Is Atheism Dead? A portion of this book is dedicated to just how finely tuned our universe is and how uniquely equipped our earth is for sustaining life. Have you ever wondered how people that have never been introduced to the triune God and have never picked up a Bible can be aware of and or believe there is an omnipresent creator and loving God. There are many places in the Word of God where there are signs and pointers to the existence of a God that creates, orders, loves, and restores. What better place to start than the first book of the Bible, verse 1. Genesis 1.1 In the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. And the psalmist really sums it up well in Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. You know, quite often when I'm out on one of my walks, I just marvel at all of the things that God created and is still creating. And even when I see a jet airplane fly over, I think of God. And I know that might sound weird, but how in the world could all of those materials that God provided have been put together by humans? 
only if the humans were designed by and created by God can that happen. There's another good reading from Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. And here Paul speaks to the presence of God. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of people, godlessness and wickedness of people, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. That really sums it up for me. And in the book of Acts, there's a great story about Paul and Barnabas healing a lame man, and immediately after that, there's a crowd that wanted to worship them. The following reading is their reaction to the crowd. This comes from the book of Acts, chapter 14, verses 14 through 18. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. You know, even in a pagan society, Everyone could witness the omnipresent and providential hand of God at work in their lives. Rain from heaven, plenty of food, and he fills our hearts with joy. I'm sure you're familiar with the term, you don't know what you were missing. And that certainly would have been applicable to the pagan societies that believed in and worshipped many lowercase g gods, as opposed to the one true capital G, God, the creator of the cosmos and all of humanity. God's conversations with Job kind of puts Job in his place, or at least it lets him know who he's dealing with. Job had been begging God to let him interrogate him, and he did. And then, beginning in chapter 38, God gives his response. It goes on into chapter 40. I'm going to review the first 10 verses in chapter 38 of the book of Job. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy. 
Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. Without a doubt, God let Job know he created and ordered the cosmos and was in charge and that without God, Job would not even exist. Job needed help. He needed a savior. You know, the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. There are many signs and pointers in the Bible, and they lead to Jesus. In the book of John, its author echoes the story of creation in Genesis when he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That comes from John 1. Jesus is the Word, and his light shines in and through us. And if we're not followers of Jesus, there certainly is a void in our life. The idea of a, quote, God-shaped hole, end quote, in the human heart, a terrifying bottomless abyss opening up inside us, which we would do anything to fill, is a famous modern metaphor for the yearning in the human soul which drives us on our spiritual quest. This is a modern paraphrase of something the famous philosopher and mathematician Blaise Pascal wrote in the mid-1600s. And I quote, What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace? This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there. The help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since the infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself, end quote. When Pascal wrote this, he was probably thinking in part of a famous passage at the beginning of St. Augustine's Confessions, where the great African saint said to God, quote, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you, end quote. And Augustine went on to say that he wanted to ask God to come and dwell in him, but that he was not sure what it was that he was actually asking for when he prayed to God in that fashion. I've told you this story before, but it's worth repeating. Lee Atwater was a friend of mine in high school. He was a political strategist, uh, some say a genius, and ran many successful campaigns, including a presidential campaign. The strategies employed were known nationally and even worldwide. He got to be known as the bad boy of politics. There was actually a book written by John Brady titled Bad Boy, The Life and Politics of Lee Atwater. I want to share part of an article that was written in the Chicago Tribune dated November 3, 1990. 
The article was written not long after Lee had been diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. Republican National Committee Chairman Lee Atwater once branded the pit bull of American politics as a changed man. And I quote, I have found Jesus. It's that simple, he said in an interview this week. He's made a difference, and I'm glad I've found him while there's still time, end quote. Atwater, 39 at the time, the architect of President Bush's 1988 election campaign, was diagnosed as having an inoperable brain tumor in March. He has hinted at his spiritual conversion in the last few months, but he has avoided talking about it publicly until now for fear it might appear he's trying to, quote, take advantage of God, end quote, as a friend put it, or to exploit his newfound faith for personal gain. The article ends with a quote from a longtime friend. The bad boy has turned good guy. I don't think you'll ever see Lee going back to being the bad boy. Lee had his detractors, and many of them scoffed at the fact that he could have had such a deathbed conversion. I went to school with Lee Atwater, and I knew him fairly well. On several occasions during the course of normal conversations, Lee would stop and look at me and say, Arthur, do you feel like there's something missing in your life? I would be puzzled, and my response would always be, Lee, I don't think so, but what do you mean by that question? I'll paraphrase his answer. I have just about everything I want, but I don't know if I have everything I need. We were in our early to mid-30s when we had these conversations. I was a Christian at the time, but I was not as seasoned in my faith as I am now. In retrospect, I wish I had had more of a faith-based answer for Lee. But I truly believe what he was feeling and trying to express was that he had a God-shaped hole in his heart that needed to be filled. And I believe it was filled not long before his death, caused by the inoperable brain tumor. The one true God that filled that hole in my friend Lee Atwater loves us all so much, he longs to fill that hole in all of us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let us pray. Almighty and most merciful God, we thank you for being our creator, our provider, and loving us unconditionally through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Go in peace, serve the Lord.